I encourage you to turn your uh, copies of God's Holy and Inspired Word back to Ecclesiastes. We're going to begin reading at the end of chapter 9 and pass over into chapter 2. As I have been uh, saying throughout, uh, this is not a highly organized um, book of the Bible. Uh, It is a kaleidoscope of short stories and case studies, maxims and proverbs, exhortations, comparisons and contrasts. And uh, Solomon is not following the rules uh, that are taught in seminary about preaching. He is just kind of touching anything and everything that seems uh, to be on his heart. Uh, And he circles back um, and uh, we'll, we'll hit something he's already hit. Uh, he'll hit it from a different, a different angle uh, or with a different application. But there's just this cycle uh, where he uh, continues to touch on things that he's already talked about uh, and just elaborates a little further. Uh, we're going to begin uh, in Ecclesiastes 9 verse uh, 13 and read to chapter 10. 11. Once again, the title here is Time and Chance Happen to Us All. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error, proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who uh, quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, help us to embrace 
these words of wisdom that do not always make sense to us, not, not simply intellectually or academically, but so often don't make sense to us when we are in the midst of trial, when we're in the midst of temptation. And so help us, Lord, to, to be very purposeful in listening and cultivating your counterintuitive wisdom into our lives that we may indeed see that what we are embracing is nothing less than the wisdom of God made real in the crucifixion of your son, a death that indeed we just sang brings us life. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Life comes to us quite often the way that the Song of Solomon comes at us. We're reading along and he's dealing with one thing and then all of a sudden he seems to be dealing with something else and then he seems to be dealing with something else and then he comes back around to something he said a few chapters ago. He's uh, following along and he's talking about poor men who are able to overcome strong kings and, but then talking about a king who, who is angry and remaining calm in his place. But that's how life hits us, isn't it? How many times are you going through life and you're going through your day and maybe there is a struggle that you woke up with, a, a new struggle, something that came to you by way of, of, a, a, of a problem with your health or a family member or something at work or um, if you have children, um, we just live in the zone, right? How many times does that happen? And then right as you start to kind of feel like, okay, I'm, I'm handling this. I, I, I'm emotionally, I'm not, getting dis, I'm not as distraught or I, I'm not as thrown off. And I, I feel like I kind of have a plan. And you start to feel like you're dealing with one thing. Then another thing hits, right? And then another thing. This is life. This is how the Song of Solomon is written. And, and I think that not only by way of content, but even by the, the form of, of, the, of the literature, it is helpful for us as what Solomon has been doing from the beginning is trying to help us be honest about life under the sun and to develop and to reorient our expectations according to the truth of what this world is like under God's curse, what this world is like as followers of God with, with his truth in a world that is under his curse. And one of the things that he has been setting before us over and over and over is this reality that in a cursed world, wisdom is preferable to folly. He has not really been wrestling with the issues of good versus evil. He's talked about good. He's talked about evil. But even when he has talked about these things, he has talked about them from the perspective of how do we respond to the good? How do we respond to the evil? That, and that uh, is where wisdom or folly can make all the difference in how you experience life under the sun. Wisdom is preferable 
to folly, even though, as we've seen here, wisdom has its limits. You limit wisdom because of your own sinfulness, but even wisdom has its limits because God isn't revealing everything to us. Wisdom has its limits. Wisdom cannot overcome the curse. Wisdom assists us in understanding the world as it is, rather than us living in the self-deception of thinking that the world can be how we think it should be or how we would prefer it to be. Right? Prosperity is not always good, and adversity is not always bad. Wisdom encourages us to accept our proper limits as creatures so that we will entrust our lives and efforts to the mystical, powerful sovereignty of God. A sovereignty that he doesn't tell us the details about. A plan that he doesn't give us the daily insights about. He doesn't send us a daily memo and say, okay, here's a couple of the big bullet points that are going to happen today, and here's what they mean. He doesn't do that. What he tells us is whatever happens today, I am sovereign over it all. I am using all of it for the accomplishment of my purposes, which have already been revealed in Jesus Christ and will be consummated when Christ returns. Until then, trust me. Trust me. Yes, even when it's confusing, trust me. Yes, even when it doesn't make any rational sense, trust me. Wisdom leads us to offer reverent devotion instead of the sacrifice of fools. It leads us to engage life as those who are in God's hands, not in man's hands. It leads us to prioritize God's blessings in life by which we can still experience God's joy, happiness, meaning, and purpose, even in a cursed world. Wisdom helps us to adjust our expectations in life. Because what Solomon has told us is life under the sun, life under the curse, in this, in this life, the same things happen to everyone. Regardless of your ethics, regardless of your morality, regardless of your religious devotion, the same things happen to everyone and then you die. There is nothing new. Death comes to us all. Justice is incomplete in this life. And life doesn't always make sense or go the way we think. Right? The fastest doesn't always win the race. The strongest doesn't always win the battle. The smartest doesn't always experience favor. We think all of those things are the way things should be, the way they ought to be, and the way we would prefer them to be, unless we find ourselves in the position of not, not having the strength. Then we don't want it to be that way. Or not having the money. Then we don't want it to be that way. Or not being 
intelligent about something, then we don't want it that way, right? We want it both ways. What Solomon tells us is life is not always going to make sense. It's not always going to go the way we think it will go. And to highlight this, he gives an example. You have this big, great king that decides to attack this little city. All right? It uses the word city, which means it has a wall. If it didn't have a wall, it would be a town. All right? So in case when you're reading the Old Testament, if, 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 it's, if there's no wall, it's a village or a town. If there's a wall, that makes it, that's what makes it a city. And so the king you know, brings in the siege works, and he's going to uh, wait them out for a while, and then he's going to put things into place to be able to overcome those walls. And who wins? The big king, the big powerful king, the king who has the money to be able to wait a city out, uh, the king who has the money to have siege works, those were expensive. Who is it that wins? This little bitty no-name person that is poor, who has, has no reputation, and is forgotten. He wins. Now last week, I, at the end, I hinted to you that in the grand scheme of redemptive history, this is pointing us to Christ. Who wins? The big, powerful nations that set themselves up against God? The, the, the leaders of Israel that had all the money and the political power? The, 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 the nation of, of, or the, uh, the Roman Empire? that had even greater power, even greater politics, even greater money, right? Who is it that wins? Jesus of Nazareth, who went to the cross, who died on a cross. That's your victorious king. Jesus Christ, who throughout history, people have tried to debunk Jesus Christ, by, by trying to say, well, well, there's outside of religious sources, there really doesn't seem to be any objective evidence that uh, Jesus of Nazareth did any of this. So outside of the sources that we don't like, <laughs> right, where they've tried to reject Jesus on the basis of trying to say, you know, he wasn't real. What are they trying to do? They're trying to forget him. They want to forget about Jesus. The only way this makes sense in what Solomon is telling us is as we see this revealed in Jesus Christ. The wisdom of Solomon in, in the book of Ecclesiastes is a wisdom of the cross. He is anticipating Christ. He is anticipating the, the God-man who would come and who would be born into this world as wisdom incarnate. Who knew exactly how to deal with more powerful political machinations. Who knew how to deal with the, those who had more money. Who knew how to live in this world as one who was poor. As one who, was, who didn't have any worldly power or prestige. Who, who understood how to interact with people when one person would come at him and he, and he knew that this person was being genuine. And another person would come at him and he knew that that person was just trying to be a jerk. 
He knew how to answer difficult, complicated questions when multiple different groups would surround him to try to trick him into doing something that would go against one of their theologies. And he was able to answer questions where he ended up not going against any of their theologies. And they would get frustrated because they could never trap him. This is who Jesus was. In history, he is perceived as being small and weak. He was born in a stable. He is perceived as being insignificant. He is perceived as being powerless. He is perceived as being weak. And yet this is God's way of bringing about victory and constraining Everything in creation towards the new heavens and the new earth. Okay? This is where the wisdom of Solomon is revealed to be the truth that it is. In Jesus Christ, the eternal God who for a time gave up his glory in order to be born as a servant and serve to the point of death on the cross. Philippians 2. Okay? Jesus is the embodiment of wisdom. And Jesus is the one who has overcome the curse by becoming cursed for us. And you and I have received in Christ the fullness of the inheritance of his righteousness and his glory. But we don't experience that as in the way that we will. We don't experience that yet. And until that day comes, we are to walk in his wisdom. Wisdom for us, as we live out the wisdom of the cross, we won't overcome the curse of the world. But we also don't have to. It's already been overcome. If we walk according to the wisdom of the cross, it doesn't mean that we won't struggle. It doesn't mean that we won't have trials and temptation. It doesn't mean that we won't go up against a more strong, powerful, uh, a, a, a more wealthy enemy. What it does mean is that the victory of Jesus Christ that he has accomplished as the poor man of seeming in who is forgotten that as we embrace that victory by faith that victory will become sight when he returns until that day comes wisdom even though it won't get us out of the problem right now wisdom is preferable to falling wisdom doesn't attract attention to itself and wisdom does not serve itself Solomon reminds us time and chance happen to us all by chance here now I said that last week and I was like then I then I you know I, I tightened the core there is a core down there in there somewhere and I tightened it and I got ready I used the word chance in a Presbyterian church let's see what happens and no one even said anything about it 
Chance here doesn't mean chance the way that we think of the word chance. It doesn't mean that there is a molecule that is outside of the sovereignty of God that somehow is spinning out of control. By chance here, it really just means occurrence. Occurrences happen to us all. It's another way of saying life happens. Life happens, under, uh, happens to us all. What kind of life happens to us? Cursed life. Cursed life happens to us all. And you can't control it. You can't change it. You can't work around it. Life happens. Okay? Life happens to us all. Time and chance happen to us all. How do we respond? Well, we respond with a wisdom that, that is a wisdom of the cross, a wisdom that does not attract attention to ourselves, instead a wisdom that entrusts ourselves to the victory of God. Wisdom here, we are, we are shown, is, is unobtrusive. Was Jesus unobtrusive? Yes. Wisdom is unobtrusive. Wisdom doesn't attract attention to itself. Go back today and read Isaiah 53. Wisdom is subtle. Folly is loud and brash and, and does attract attention to itself. Folly is impulsive disobedience. Folly is self-centered arrogance. Folly is a rash disregard for God and it is a, 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 a rash entrusting of, of one's own strengths and abilities. Wisdom is directed to others. Folly is directed toward the self. How do we respond when things are not going your way? How do you respond when you come up against a curse? When you come up against a curse in your wife, when you come up against a curse in your husband, when you come up against the curse in your children, when you come up against the curse in a coworker, in a neighbor, in politics, in government, how do you respond? Do you respond like me and start puffing up, getting a little bigger, right? Thinking, you know, if I can just make myself look bigger, then maybe that'll deal with the problem. Do you get louder? My point's not being made like this. So I need to increase the volume so that the person knows I'm really being serious and they'll start going along with my opinion. Right? Do you puff yourself up? Do you get louder? Do you start escalating emotionally? I am an expert at all three of these. And putting them together and being able to, to pair them and use them all three. Wisdom is quiet. It is subtle. It is unobtrusive. And it is used for the benefit of another, not for the self. That's what he's showing us here. And why is this important? Well, it's important because victory is not found the way we think it's found. And it's important because folly will sour and destroy your relationships and your life. 
What is folly? Folly can be the introduction of flies to the most fragrant of aromas, he tells us here at the beginning of chapter 10. And what does it do? What do the flies do? It overcomes so that you can have this very fragrant aroma that is beautiful. And with the introduction of flies, what happens? It becomes soured. It begins to stink. And he uses graphic words here to impress upon us the stench of what they, back in their day, would have understood they didn't live with our, with our modern technology. They didn't live with our ways of dealing with powerful smells. Once the flies got introduced, there was nothing you could do but throw it out. It was no good anymore. And that's what folly does. One little badly spoken word can sour a lifetime of trust. And there's so many heads are being shaken, yes, right now. Because you've experienced it. Maybe like me, you've been the agent. Maybe like me, you've been the recipient. One badly timed word that one time that you do finally lose your patience and actually, and actually speak what you've been keeping in your heart. That, that one time that, that you just decide, you know what, I'm tired of being cautious and I'm just going to do this thing that I want to do. One little thing, one word, one emotion, one act, it sours, and it can destroy. We talked about Marcus Dupree last Sunday. Marcus Dupree, the greatest or the best who never was, who was stronger and faster, who, who was more talented, had more touchdowns than Herschel Walker, if you can imagine. And yet, you, know, you don't know who he is unless you went and watched the ESPN film, the 30 for 30 film that I told you about. He made one decision. One decision. He was at the top and the height of his game, of his sport, of his popularity, and he made one decision. And that one decision was... I don't like the way the coaches are treating me, so I'm going to take my ball and go home. And in the middle of the season, he went home and never went back to the team. And guess what? Time and chance happened to Marcus Dupree. And you don't know who he is. The strongest don't always win. The fastest don't always win. The best don't always get to be known as the best. And for him, it was one decision. I don't like the way I'm being treated, 
so I'm going to go home. And it led to one more bad decision and one more bad decision and then time and chance. He never went back to college. He went into the USFL, got hurt immediately, and you never heard of him. At the time in which the ESPN 30 for 30 film uh, was made, the, the, the producer is meeting with him as, as he's living in his hovel in southern Mississippi as a poor truck driver, showing him film of when he was the best. And he has this disassociative moment as he's looking at himself and he goes, who is that young man? And he says, life just doesn't always work out the way you think it will. Wisdom may not have kept him from getting hurt in the USFL. But wisdom would have kept him at college, where he would have never gone into the USFL if he had continued on the track that he was on. Beloved, time and chance happen to us all. Time and chance happen to us, to our relationships, to everything that exists within this life. And you and I are going to be faced with how do we respond to this? What folly does is it gets big, it gets loud, it tries to, it, it assumes that might makes right, and so it tries to assert itself to, to get others to bend. Wisdom remains calm, remains subtle, and doesn't escalate along with the problem. What does he say here? When the king get ang gets angry, stay in your place and stay calm. A gentle word does what? It turns away wrath. And, and quite often, the best way to deal with someone who is escalating is not to escalate with him or her. Believe it or not, I'm going to throw down some real big wisdom right now. Believe it or not, Having only one angry person is better than having two angry persons. Let alone three, four, five. Let the one angry person be the angry person. Now, I'm saying this as the biggest hypocrite in the room right now. I love to escalate. It's a challenge. I can escalate more than you. But this is what he's saying. The wisdom of the cross, a wisdom that expresses trust in Jesus Christ, is a wisdom in which the Christ who never responded by escalating is the Christ who will do that within you if you will entrust yourself to him. If you will actively make the decision, don't escalate, you are in Christ Christ is in you. Allow that Christ to bring you down, to bring calmness and peace within you so that you can be an agent of grace and mercy instead of participating in the escalation that is going to lead to the situation exploding. Folly sours. He also says, 
it destroys. It harms. If you're a snake charmer, and you're the best snake charmer in the world, but the snake strikes you before you charm it, guess what? You're dead. That's what folly does. Wisdom knows when to do something, not just what to do. Folly will get the what wrong. Folly will get the when wrong. And when you hesitate, when you shouldn't, it can destroy. Folly sours and folly destroys. And as he is expressing it here, the folly that he is focusing on is the folly that believes might makes right. If I'm the strongest, the fastest, if I can do the best argument, if, if, I, if I'm the most skilled thinker, the most skilled speaker, if I'm the best, then I'll win. And what Solomon tells us is that is folly, and the more often you incorporate that into your life, you are going to sour and destroy the things around you. As someone who has done marriage counseling, I can assure you that it is not calmness and peace that leads to people coming into my office. It is becoming convinced that I'm right and the other person is wrong. Wisdom is not about right and wrong. Wisdom is about being an agent of healing being versus being an agent of destruction. Beloved, our Savior came into this world as an agent of healing. And beloved, by nature of your union with Christ, he has came, come into your heart as an agent of healing. And in Christ, he has made you capable now of exercising the wisdom of the cross by which you can be an agent of healing to yourself and to those who are around you. Life doesn't always work out the way you think it will. Don't try to respond to that with strength and with asserting yourself and with being selfishly uh, ambitious for your, own, for your own desires. Instead, entrust yourself to the cross. Let the Christ who died for you lead you to die for, the one, for, for those around you, that you indeed might be an agent of the healing of the wisdom of the cross. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we need your help because we want to fight our way through this life instead of entrusting ourselves to your guidance where you have already fought for us, where you have already blazed a trail for us. 
where you have already gone before us, where you have already experienced to a greater degree than we will ever experience what life in a cursed world will bring to somebody. And you have done all of these things so that we can uh, cultivate peace and that we could cultivate trust and that we could actively uh, not just receive Jesus Christ, but take the chance of opening ourselves up to being the vessel of Christ and to not do what is so natural to do as we come up against the curse wherever we come up against it. And so we ask that you would use the foolishness of the gospel, the stumbling block of grace, to strengthen us and encourage us to be conduits of Christ in a world that needs hope as it continues to experience the curse that came all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Lord, bless us, as we sang earlier, with the confidence of knowing that heaven has been restored in Christ and that in Christ we are already raised up and seated with him there in order that we might be the bouquet of the heavenly places amidst the stench of death in this world. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.